Keys. Tan Talk. Entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Kowalski. Occupation, driver. Transporting a supercharged Dodge Challenger from Denver to San Francisco. Background, Medal of Honor in Vietnam. Former stock and bike racer. Former cop, dishonorably discharged. Now he uses speed to get himself up. To get himself gone. Everybody's after Kowalski. For one reason or another. Is there something I can do for you? Well, like what? Like anything you want. Everybody wants a piece of his hide. Maybe kill somebody. Maybe stole that big dude of his. Maybe both. Look at that son of a... They want to get him and put him away. But they'll have to catch him first. Ah! Let my own hands go! This is yours truly, super, super soul! Challenger being chased by the blue, blue meanies on wheels, the vicious packet squad cars after our known driver, the super driver of the Golden West. The police numbers are getting closer, closer, closer to our soul hero in his soul mobile. They're gonna kill him, smash him, rip the last American hero. It's the maximum trip at maximum speed. Vanishing point. Set the way back machine. Yes, sir, Mr. Peabody. Hey, the Red Rocker Sammy Hagar here, and you are listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Ah, uh, woo! Good God, woo! Are we on? <laughs> okay, listen, welcome. We're tuned into Nostalgic Radio Cars. I'm your show host, Robert. Don't forget, uh, wait a minute. Uh, God, I can't believe I forgot my spiel tonight. I have just forgot everything tonight. Okay, you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And check out Nostalgic Radio Cars, where you can listen to all our past shows. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Yes, your name is Robert. Yes, you're here in Florida. This is Tan Talk Radio. It is Tuesday night. 
It is Tuesday night. Okay, well, as you can see behind me, I forgot my banner. Okay, shame on me. Um, I was in a hurry to get here, so I forgot this, this, this. The only thing I did make sure is that my head was screwed on, because that's hard to lose. It is attached. Well, well. Well, yeah. My mind, my mind, my mind. It's completely gone bye-bye. Did we, um, where's that little clip that I, did you, is, it, is that something you can cue up real oh, quick? Oh, yeah, hang on a second. See if we can play that real quick, because this is uh, kind of uh, uh, the way I feel, okay? Oh, so, what, you mean this? Yeah, that's me today. One more time, just because I like that. <laughs> hey, you can't go wrong with this. No. Yeah. All right. So anyway, we need to get them on the radio show. Yes, that's Smashing Pumpkins. Yes, is that it what is. That? Okay, good. That's, well, surprisingly enough, there's actually a connection, and I do this all the time between Billy Corgan and pro wrestling. Oh, really? Yeah. So Billy Corgan, the lead singer of the Smashing Pumpkins, owns NWA. Do they really? He's an owner of the NWA promotion. Yes. Wow. Well, now it's New World Order? No, uh, National Wrestling Alliance. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Yeah, National oh. <laughs> no, what you thinking of is the NWO. Oh, this is NWA. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was uh, with, uh, what's his name? Uh, Hulk Hogan and... Yep. Uh, Hogan, Scott Hall, and Kevin Nash. Oh, wait a minute. That was, that was, and, and that was WCW. Randy Macho Man. you Randy Macho Man. Yeah. Okay, so anyway. All right. So, well, you know, no one can ever say that this show is not full of energy. Uh, of course not. Between the two of us? Come on. Yeah, that's cool. All right. So here we go. Um, right on. All right. So let's see. Uh, today is what? The 14th, right? Correct. Okay. So anyway, so the reason I played Vanishing Point is because I think it is the 50th anniversary of that movie. Vanishing Point with uh, Barry Newman. I actually reached out to Barry. I don't. One of these days, you never know. We might get lucky because I'd like to talk to him about making that movie. He actually did another one called, I believe it was called, something Fear, and he actually drove a '72 Torino in that. So I wanted to play that. Okay, so we got a real exciting show for you tonight. We got a very special guest coming on this evening, and we're going to be talking about something that. I think everybody would enjoy talking about. Yes, it's automotive related. So, anyway, all right. So, what's going on? If you want to know what's going on as far as car shows and stuff like that in the state of Florida, don't forget to check out FLACarshows.com. FLACarshows.com. Is that kind of like radio voice? No, I don't quite. Anyway, all right. So, this weekend, we got Moultrie, Swap Me. We got uh, Renegers in Mount Dora. We got uh, Turkey Ride Run in two weeks. We got uh, HSR Historics coming up in a couple of weeks also. And last weekend, we went to, where'd I go? Where'd I go? Where'd I go? I went to, uh, oh, the UTC, University Town Center, uh, Cars and Coffee in Sarasota. It's every second Saturday of the month. A lot of fun. Then I went by to see my good friends over there at uh, Vintage Motors in Sarasota. And then we went to buy this other place, and I can't remember the name of it, but they, they're also a classic car dealer. See, this is what happens when you get older. Not to make any excuses, but, you know, your mind goes. At least I'm not shaking. I'm not shaking. Well, where the mind goes, the body will follow. Yeah, they also. What was it? Clear your mind, and your something else would follow. Yeah. Clear your clear your butt, and your mind will follow too. But but anyway, but my <laughs> mind is just I don't know. All right. So um, and then uh, oh yeah, this past weekend was Bug Jam, and uh, made some new friends, met some new people over there, and uh, discovered some parts. And um, you know me, I'm a parts junkie, so what can I help? And 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 that's kind of like the theme of tonight's show a little bit. Parts. Just parts of parts. So anyway, on that note, we're going to get our guests on here in a few minutes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to let my good friend Matt, the motivator, the driver, uh, the production operator here, production engineer. What? what, 
Am I am I close on that uh, job description there? Producer and board op, yes. Uh, producer board engineer, yeah. Well, if we say board op, they don't know what that means. Board operator. Yeah, so it's basically producer and engineer of the show. I'm basically the guy who makes him sound good. Yeah, you're the guy that makes me sound good. In spite of the fact that I still screw up, but I mean, you know, yeah. nonetheless. All right, Appreciate so. It. If, you're good, if you're good at what you do on this side of the board, we can cover up for what goes on on that side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we, we, we always often joke about that because when there is a real legitimate goof up, we're so good at covering up on the radio show. You won't know. You guys, yeah, the, you the listeners don't know our 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 faux pas, okay? But we sit here and we go, "Oops." Yeah. You know, but we we got it under control because we're an expert. Ladies and gentlemen, don't try this at home. This is for professionals. Yeah, we are, we are the trained professionals here. <laughs> part of the reason why I was good at doing your show is I learned from the best. I learned from your son. Oh yeah, from Bobby. Yeah, yep. a big shout out to Bobby. He's out there, and he learned from one of the best, which was uh, uh, Cedric. Yeah. So shout out to Cedric. Anyway, yep. all right, and of course he picked up a few things from Mr. Lee. Oh, yeah. And then of course Ed. Ed's very good at what yes, he, he does yes, too. He Ed's very very good at stuff. So we got we actually have a very very good team network of people working here. Yep. So over the years, it's been it's been fun. Now uh, we're going in. We're deep into thirteen years now. That's saying something. Yeah, it really is. Okay, so now we have a song on coming up. Okay, and it's by uh, Stevie Ray, right? And yep. it's uh, Cold Shot. Cold Shot. Yeah. Cold Shot. That's a good song. Okay, and. Uh, so, hey, you're tuned into Nostalgic Benjamin Cars. Just fire up the stereo. Wait a minute. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Go. I just love the intro to that song. That's great. Yes, it is. All right, here we go.
appreciation by walking out anyway, and that's a kosher thing. This is Mandrian Pace, number one car thief in America. He'll steal anything, anytime, as long as it's insured. I read my horoscope this morning. His front, insurance investigation. His business, stealing cars. And now he's got to fill the biggest contract yet. You had to deliver over 40 cars to the docks by Saturday. That's a sad story. Shit, listen. <laughs> Lock your car, but if he wants it, it's gone in 60 seconds. Things don't always go as planned, even for a pro. Sometimes when you steal a car, you get more than you bargained for. Holy shit! Karen. Who is it? Oi! The whole damn thing's loaded. Fasten your seatbelt for what Carcraft magazine calls the most hair-raising chase scene ever filmed. Hollywood Reporter says it's a thrill a minute. You owe it to your car to see Gone in 60 Seconds. It's Grand Theft Entertainment. Gone in 60 Seconds. Rated PG. Hey now and have mercy, this is Billy F. Gibbons from ZZ Top, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. All right, you're back. You tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. Now, this gentleman, now there's, there's, you know, in, in my music and my clips, there's always a connection here. So, uh, uh, in the original Gone 60 Seconds movie, his real life job was he was a wrecking yard owner so my special guest for the evening like myself was formerly in the wrecking yard business he's also a real estate guy i was in real estate he's also a business consultant which i wasn't he's also an author which i'm not although i'm a writer um and uh he's got uh, a real interesting take on business these days uh, the whole overall industry and i'm delighted to welcome to the show the uh always successful mr ron sturgeon ron how are you this evening the best, and thank you for having me on the show. We should make sure your readers understand that salvage yards buy cars and sell parts, and scrap yards sell scrap metal, and we're talking about cars tonight. Auto wrecking yard. Did I say that? Did I clarify that? I don't remember, but yeah, definitely. So, Ron, why don't you give us uh, a little background history on yourself and uh, tell us some stories? Well, my dad died when I was a senior in high school in 1971 and left me with no place to live and no money and a 65 Volkswagen Bug. And I opened a Volkswagen Bug repair shop and drag raced VW Bugs and worked on VW Bugs. It became everything VW Bugs for about 15 years of my life. And in 1978, uh, we had branched out. We would go to the salvage auctions. They were fairly new then. Uh, people wonder what happens with their car when they wreck it. Of course, it gets towed off, and eventually those parts get put on another car, we hope. But uh, we would go off to the wrecking yard, and, I mean, to the auction, and buy 
Volkswagen and drag it back in, and then we'd sell the motor out of that to somebody else that needed one. And over the next uh, 18 or so years, I built that business into a six-location business in Texas with about $15 million in sales. And in 1999, I sold the business to Ford Motor Company. Now, at the time, we, you and I talked about that a little bit, and I'm very familiar with uh, when Ford got involved. And I think the company was called, what, Greenleaf back then? That's what it was? Yes, sir. So, now, what part of Texas are we talking about? Are we talking Dallas-Fort Worth? Are we talking uh, San Antonio? Uh, are we talking what part of Texas are we talking well, about? I had locations in Austin and Houston and San Antonio. Okay. And Dallas, but Dallas-Fort Worth was the, was the main hub. Okay. And, and after, I, after I exited the salvage... A yard, the salvage yard business, I opened a salvage pool, uh, an auction, because we only had two, Copart and IA, and it was a duopoly. And I opened a salvage auction and was swiftly purchased by Copart, which was the largest public company in the segment. Now, here in, in Florida, we used to deal with Sedisco. Was Sedisco out west by you guys also? No, Sedisco was primarily based in Florida, and they built a pretty good-sized business, and most of those businesses have been acquired. I'm kind of thinking IAA ended up with Sedisco, but I don't recall for sure. I think it was Copart, because Copart was um, in that area. Well, you may be right. I'm not sure. I'm not going to say that, but I know Copart got a lot, and then, of course, IAA's come on real strong here in the last couple of years. But when you were when when you sold out to to Ford to Greenleaf, what got what what was it? What was the motivation that got Ford Motor Company involved in the wrecking yard business, and why was it so short lived? Well, Jack Nasser, who was the chairman of Ford, wanted to own the customer, and it, you know it's not not really a bad vision. He wanted to sell you a car. He wanted to fix the car. He wanted to paint the car. He wanted to sell you parts for the car. He wanted to take your car back in trade and sell you another car. And also, there were big initiatives in Europe, in the EU, for end-of-life, holding manufacturers responsible for their products at the end of life. And Ford wanted to make sure they were grooming themselves for being able to do that if, in fact, it did happen. Or It was not a good fit for Ford. Over the, over the next three years after I sold to them, they acquired a number more products, about 35 locations in 18 states, and lost a quarter billion dollars. That's with a B, as in boy. They lost a quarter billion dollars. And they came back to me because I was the largest acquisition they had made and wanted to sell the company back to me uh, with over $100 million in sales and uh, over 1,000 employees, losing a million dollars a month. And, and I bought it back with some partners, and we turned it around and sold it to LKQ, who is the largest parts segment, the, the parts auto wrecker in the segment at this point. Okay, when you mentioned uh, Greenleaf, you know, buying out all these other salvage yards, they in particular, they actually came over here in our area, and they bought one of Kofor's yards, his regular late model salvage yard, not his U-Pullet yard at the time. And uh, I guess you knew Ronnie Kofor and Richard Kofor and those guys back then? I did, and I kind of knew, I knew almost everybody that was anybody in this business, because in the, in the 70s and 80s, I spoke at all the conventions and shared what I was doing because we were growing so fast and doing so many things that nobody had ever done. We were one of the first to computerize. And so we were setting a lot of trends. And, and so I got to know a lot of really nice people in the industry. Okay. Did you ever deal with Lenny Damron when Damron's was up there in Crystal River area? Sure I did. I loved how Lenny Damron sat up there in his cage and watched everybody. <laughs> yeah. With his video cameras. 
Lenny Nairman was a heck of a guy. He was a hell of a guy. But he eventually sold to LKQ. Right. He eventually sold to LKQ. Yeah. In fact, that's one of the biggest yards in, in, in the in – the, well, yeah, actually one of the bigger yards. Is up there. I was just up there the other day. I had to drop off a car for a friend of mine because now they're getting into the repair business. Now, you mentioned – you used the term end of life. So for my listeners, explain to them what that means. Well, for instance, if you sell shavers, electric shavers, right? pretty soon you're going to have – a million shavers out there, where are all those batteries going to go? Okay. And batteries are combustible, they're dangerous, they're chemically uh, not a very good fit, and so almost anything you can mention, uh, you know, the best example we can all relate to today is plastic, where we're at on plastic straw. There's an end-of-life item that is really in the news a lot nowadays, plastic. Okay. So when you say end of life, you're also referring to how do we dispose of it, recycle it, or along those lines, right? Yeah, and and Ford didn't understand any of this. Understandably so, they just they just didn't they didn't have a clue. But imagine if tomorrow Belgium told you that at ten years you had to take that ten year old car back and you had to do something with it. What would you do with it? That would be a monumental task. And, uh, you know, there are in cars. Uh, in the late model salvage business today, we sell about 30 parts per car, and there are different parts on every car. And, uh, uh, but there's about 5% in scrap and about 5% in cores uh, and a little bit of retail business, and the rest of it is all wholesale and it's all data-driven. All right, now explain to my listeners... When you talk data-driven or data-driven, what are you talking about there? And, and of course, you know, I want to get back into a little bit about the salvage yard industry as far as how we used to recycle and process cars back in the old days and how it's done today, you know, the comparison. Well, uh, of course, when we started putting in computers, it became obvious to us that some parts sold better than others. And if we could figure out which ones sold better than others. And I always said we had the perfect retail machine that rest of the retail world never adopted. Imagine if, if, if Dillard's, every time you went in there, they could count how many times the ladies looked at the red dresses versus the blue dresses and how many times they bought the red versus the blue, then how much that would help them order a dress uh, and, and stock and have less waste. But computers became very, very important in the auto salvage business. But almost... Universally, only the best yards really took advantage of them and learned how to use them. And in the late 90s, I was responsible for, uh, you know, one of my favorite little stories, uh, David and Goliath's story, was in 1996, one morning I got up and I found out that ADP, as in Automated Data Processing, had bought uh, the only other company that provided software for salvage yards, which was Auto Auto Info, which was what I used, and we had been developing a lot of really sophisticated computerized things to help us buy and sell more effectively. And uh, I just didn't—it didn't sound right to me. They promptly announced they weren't going to support the other system. There were only two systems. They basically put the other one out of business. And so I mailed flyers to four thousand recyclers in America and explained all this to them and told them if they thought this didn't sound right, send this coupon on page three to the FTC. And the FTC got 126 of those coupons, 
opened an investigation, eventually signed, uh, they eventually fined ADP $10 million and made them disgorge the acquisition. And it was, it was so, uh, so enthralling to hear in the testimony before the FTC, I had to go and hear it, that uh, one of the VPs of one of their divisions said that with, with this acquisition, we will expeditiously monopolize the auto recycling industry. And, of course, that was, that was done. Wow. When I, 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 think most, go ahead. I think most people don't realize, too, that when I, you, you want to talk about data-driven, but when you wreck your car, they want to use the cheapest parts they can to fix it. Well, if your car is older, the law will allow them to use used parts, and uh, they pay about $8 for every one of those parts they can put on an estimate. So in the middle of the night, while we're all sleeping, they go out here to all the other recyclers, suck all of that data in, and the next day they're putting it on estimates at $8 a pop. And we're talking billions of dollars. Uh, let me just draw an analogy or a parallel here. Okay, so what ADP did, it's almost very similar to the automobile industry, the manufacturers, making much of the um, repair software proprietary so that only manufacturers and dealerships supported by manufacturers can repair the cars and the independent's out of business because he can't access that data so he has no way of being able to uh, analyze vehicles to find out what's wrong with them and be able to you know maintain and operate as an independent repair shop is would that be a fair analysis it would, and as long as we've been having radio shows, we've been talking about how the government says they have to do it. They've been saying we will do it, and then they then they tell ever then they don't do it, and so somebody gets sued, and then there's another case, and so on and so on. And even today, there just in the past year, there have been quite a few cases, quite a few new laws that require them to give them the information, uh, give independent mechanics information on how to fix the cars, uh, but they don't. They don't, they don't regularly do it. And even if they did do it, the cars have become so complex and they require so many tools and so many electronic tools that it's kind of a bygone era that we're going to work on a lot of those cars, independent. Okay, so that, that brings up another issue. We were talking about salvage. So back in the old days, you know, when we had real cars with real metal, all steel or all metal, you know, none of this HSS stuff and this high strength, strength steel and carbon this and, and all this other kind of stuff that they have out there and aluminum and everything else and titanium in some of these vehicles, some of the more exotic cars. So, you know, you, you basically sold, and I know when I was in the business, I sold probably, you know, 50, 60, 75% of the car and the rest of it was scrapped and processed. And, uh, and today you're saying they don't do that. So give us kind of like a breakdown. And you, you touched on it for a second there. And then where are we going to go in the future? I mean, where, what, what, what's going to be salvageable on these cars? Because like you said, they're all high tech. And they're going to be so costly to repair. I mean, we see this now. You know, you can see it on the auctions on the, on the resale side. You know, some of these cars are not bringing the money they used to. And once they're out of warranty, they're almost priceless to repair. Well... I think there will always be an automotive business. There will always be independence. There will always be workarounds. And there will always be people that say they can't make a living, but and yet there are lots and lots of people making really good livings off cars, including salvage yards. But if you go back to the early 80s, we used to pay $100 for a car, and we would sell $1,000 worth of parts off of it. So we would have a 90% gross margin. Uh, and 
which was pretty lucrative. Of course, we had a lot of transactions, and there were little transactions. And I don't know about you, but I'm so old that when I run past the cemetery, they chase my car with a shovel. <laughs> but I, I can remember, you know, I can remember jacking my car up, putting a clutch in it, doing a brake job on it. Today, if you can find somebody to change a battery in a car, God bless you. Can't even <laughs> see the battery or find it. And it's probably kind of risky to be changing the battery if you don't really know what you're doing. As that evolved into the late 90s and into the 21st century, those margins almost completely flipped. Today, the uh, we pay about 50 cents. We pay uh, about, for every 50 cents we spend, we get a dollar in parts. So we have a 50% gross margin. And the average cost per car is in a $3,000 range, the scrap car. And that, that should shock some people, I think, because all they see is a bent-up piece of trash. How, why would anybody pay $3,000 for that? And they do because the engine might be worth $7,000. I can remember in 1990 we were buying BMW 750iL. We bought mainly foreign cars, so we didn't have a niche. And everybody thought I was crazy because we would pay seven to $10,000 for our BMW 750iL. And unbeknownst to them, those motors were terrible. They had a terrible failure rate. Three years out, they were failing. And we could get $12,000 for an engine. So we were sourcing engines all over the United States, dragging those cars in. And the other auto refactors were just kind of looking at us with their thumb in their butt, trying to figure out what we were doing. So, okay. So, and then today, now, as, as we move forwards... And then I want to touch on electric cars. Okay, we're going to get on. That's one of my favorite uh, favorite issues. You know, not being a, an electric car guy. But anyway, so where we're going with the uh, in the future, then. So you don't you do you think that they're going to be repairing cars? I mean, you know, back in the old days, you sold a front clip, you sold a top and tail, you sold a, a quarter off a car aside. Today, uh, when I like, I, and I do diminished value and total losses. I was just in the body shop today, and uh, it was a Subaru, uh, whatever the thing it was, and they replaced the quarter. There was nothing used on that car. They just went and got a new quarter skin, put it on the car. It's all unibody. You know, pull the rear body panel, pull the 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 lower frame rail, pulled it out, you know, hung a a door jam in there, and and reskinned the door. And boom, there was no used parts on there. And uh, I, I do know that on the front end of the car, they use used doors. And on the, I mean, on front clips sometimes. And then the sides, but nothing in the rear. Maybe a deck lid, and that's about it. And then, like you said, the rest of it's mechanical. They'll sell a motor, and they'll sell a transmission out of it. And maybe a rear end. But but the small parts that we used to sell, starters, alternators, brake parts, miscellaneous, stuff like that, none of that stuff gets sold today. It all goes in the garbage. You rarely ever sell, maybe the front seats, that's about it. What's your thoughts? Well, I hate to be a, I hate to be a protractor, but the small parts are seeing a renaissance. Are they? And a lot of people are putting their small parts, for instance, uh, a little engine control module or something that controls a seat belt. They put that on eBay with the part number that's on it, uh, and of course it's repeat. When you need one, you go to eBay. You're holding it in your hand. You look it up. There it is. Uh, I helped a guy last week that needed a, uh, he needed a brain box for. Uh, had something to do with the brakes, yep. And but it had to be on a three-quarter ton with dual rear axle, and uh, and it had to have ABS. And there was a six-month wait for that brain box, if you will. I'm gonna call it a brain box. And that brain box was twenty-five hundred dollars, and they told him that it would be at least six months. Well, he's got a farm truck, and he needs to. So he just gave me the numbers off of it. I said, we 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 typed it in eBay, and there it was. We got it to him for three hundred and fifty dollars. And there's a lot more of that going on than you might think. 
Wow. Okay. Let's touch. Uh, let's touch on electric cars and electric batteries and the recycling, the the end of life issue with uh, with with uh, uh, electric vehicles. What's your uh, thoughts on that and your position? Well, I think everybody's all panicked, thinking we're fixing to have all these electric vehicles. And first, I just don't think it's going to happen. Okay. Uh, there are companies out there now, at least two startups. I read automotive news cover to cover every week. I'm a nut about it. Uh, talking about recycling batteries. They're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to build plants to recycle batteries. And there's a lot of batteries out there piling up. And we're, we hear the stories where somebody needed a battery for the Tesla, and it was $26,000 or $46,000. And those things are so uncertain and so complex, we're not even close to resolving them. But the bigger issue is forget the batteries. Just think about what percentage of the cars in America that are being sold today are electric, and how is that going to change every year? And the average salvage yard sells parts for cars that are in the 3- to 10-year bracket. And there are, right now today, the electric cars that are being sold are in the, in the 5% range. And if you move that up 1% here and 1% there and 1% here and 1% there, it's pretty easy to see that we aren't going to see a lot, a whole lot of electric cars even in the 2030s. Now, if you're a wise, wise businessman, you got to plan ahead, so you got to be thinking about what's going to happen in 2030 or 2035 or 2040. And we will be seeing, obviously, more cars then. But I believe the problems will be solved as we get to them. And the few recyclers that I know of that have bought and specialized in buying some uh, hybrids uh, and electric cars are making more money on them than they are the gas-powered cars. So I don't think, I think we're going to adapt and all that's going to sort out just fine. Okay, well, I was, you you brought up hybrid cars, so that was my next question. You know, um, your future, your thoughts on the future of the automobile industry uh, from a sales standpoint and a used car standpoint, because I know you were involved in both sides there too for a while. Well, let me give you a couple of little vignettes. I think people don't think about. Okay, you ask why Ford bought us. One of the reasons Ford bought us was because Ford crushes destroys ten thousand cars a year. 10,000 cars a year. The first 100 that come off the line, they don't sell because they were practicing putting them together. And uh, lots of cars get damaged. They will not sell a car into a stream of commerce that's had any noticeable amount of damage. Rail cars turn over. Uh, We had had hundreds of uh, cars come to us. We call them the perfume cars because the Ford plant was next to the perfume plant. The perfume plant inadvertently spewed a bunch of things out of their smokestack and it caused and, and it settled on the Ford and of course Ford's had a lot of issues with with lawsuits over paints and recalls and so they just did they destroyed them wiped them out destroyed them and uh, so the other thing is they, the manufacturers buy each other's cars I remember in 1990 I bought an Acura NSX to wreck out and You'll probably remember that. That was the that was the Ferrari of the day. Oh yeah, from and Japan, right? Exactly. Quite, quite the car, and I bought that car, and it was wrecked in the front. I paid twenty thousand dollars for it, and I got a letter from Acura telling me that I could not sell the airbags because they were proprietary. And of course, I told them they could they could shove their letter right <laughs> where the sun didn't shine because, or they could come by the airbags. But the other thing that was interesting was Cadillac bought the engine, 
for $25,000. They wanted it right now, right now, right now. They want to tear it down. They want to look at all that VTEC, weigh all those things. And you couldn't go just buy an engine. Even today, you can't just go to a Lamborghini dealer and buy an engine. You're going to have to take the car. They want to go up. They want to understand a VIN number. Why is this engine failed? So on and so on. Interesting. So in the in the future, though, as more and more as these cars become far more sophisticated, um, how do you think that's going to play out, I mean, from the used car standpoint? Because, you know, the, the cost to, I mean, cars are getting more and more expensive. They're way more sophisticated. I mean, there's just tons and tons of electronics on there. And it's just going to get to the part where you think that they will um, just, you know, just... When you use the term planned obsolescence, they'll just be basically throwaway cars, and then and then and we're not going to be buying these cars. We're just going to be leasing them for the duration. Um, what's your thoughts on that? I, I uh, here again, I just don't think it's I don't think it's going to go like that. You know, and I can remember in 1990, we called them the windows that suck on the Mercedes, oh, the yeah. new SLs. When you open the door and close it, the window would jump jump down and then jump up. I mean. That happens every day on every car nowadays. That's but true. But we call it, so who's going to control that little module and who's going to fix that little electronic thing? And we've got all these super sensitive electronic items on this 1990 Mercedes 500SL. That was 33 years ago, and those cars are still on the road. We're still working on them. People have figured out how to fix those things. They're enjoying them. Uh, and I, I think it's going to be the same going forward. I think we're good. The human mind is an amazing thing. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess it's just going to be a wait and see. So, Ron, let's do this, because we I, I know you're a huge car collector. So let's talk about collector cars and uh, your thoughts on collector cars, um, past, present, and future. Well, I think there's a sea change going on right now in the, in the collector car auto auction business. Mm-hmm. And I don't think most people have even thought about it. And who would have thought, but you can remember, who would have thought that the salvage business would be the trendsetter? And I can remember in about 1996, give or take a few years, Copart, in one fell swoop, fired every single one of the auctioneers, all of them, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of auctioneers, and went totally video. And everybody said, oh, my God, we can't buy cars like that. That'll never work. And that was 25 years ago. And of course, today, they're the 600-pound gorilla. IA never caught up with them. They never, their software never became as sophisticated. Copart is the, by far the, the biggest and the best. And that's happening with that. Bring a trailer. Oh, the yes. first sign of it was when Hearst, Hearst didn't in, invest $80 million because they had it laying around. They saw the future. And, you know, one of the things, the little business things I like to say is when the, when the friction between the buyers and the sellers gets too great financially, we always find a solution. You know, people are tired of paying a 15% buyer's, buyer's fee at a, at a bottom company auction and a 15% seller's fee on a $300,000 car where bottom collects $65,000 fee. And... I do think that the, of course, the brass era cars, super old cars, Model A's, Model T's, sadly are worth nothing, almost nothing. And, uh, 
but there's there's a strong undercurrent of cars in that hundred thousand dollars down bracket that we're gonna we're gonna learn how to buy without going to an auction, and the fees are gonna be almost nothing. It's interesting that you mentioned that, too, because I just want to digress for a second. Let's talk about salvage auctions, for example, or not salvage auction, but let's say Mannheim, Odessa, and, and some of the smaller independents. Now, the fees have gotten ridiculous at Mannheim in particular. I mean, when you go out there and you, and you buy a, a, a $10,000 car and you're paying seven, $800, that doesn't include your recon. That doesn't include transportation in, transportation out. I mean, so you're almost at 1000 bucks. You know, people always question, well, why does a car cost so much? Well, you know, we're not in the business to lose money. We're obviously in the business to make a little money like everybody else, and we're not being greedy. But I'll tell you what, you know, you look at the auctions, and you're talking about auctions, but you look at Mannheim and Odessa, I mean, how are they? In, their, in my mind, I'm trying to rationalize how they rationalize that because it's turned a lot of people away from, from, from Mannheim. People are basically, as we say in the business, the best deals are on the street. People are going to the streets now. Well, first you can't buy the super high-quality car on the street. And I would argue that what you just described is capitalism at its best <laughs> or at its worst. Yeah. And it's not going to change. And we can bribe. You know, I used to say at the auction. Uh, you know, we got salvage title laws, and we had too many buyers, and everybody said, oh, my God, how can you keep paying that for those cars? I said, you know what? You can fall dead right here in front of the auction truck, and we're going to stop for three minutes. One of us will get a soda pop off the truck. They're going to rush you away in an ambulance, and then we're going to go back to auctioning cars again. And the cars are going to bring the same amount of money. And it, it's a silly little story, but it's <laughs> true. It's true. You're right. You're absolutely right. And, and go back and track Manheim stock. Manheim stock has continued to climb. They've yep. had their dips and their ups and their downs, and they've provided good shareholder value for their for their shareholders. And so, nope, nope. There's there's plenty of room, and all that's gonna all that's gonna just charge ahead. Um. Well, okay. So that the the, the 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 where I'm going with this is too is like it used to be as a wholesaler and a wrecking yard guy. You know, I used to be able to go to the dealerships, and I would deal with the wholesale manager. And I would be able to buy cars off the back lot, and sometimes you know wrecking car salvage. And the reason I always bought cars from car lots is because usually they ran, and it was before you know they got to the auction and, and you know the, the little games were played. You can't do that anymore. You can't. I mean, every time I go to a, a wholesaler these days, they go, "Yeah, it's yeah, nice to know you, Robert. We've been good friends for a long time." But if you want a cars, got to go to the auction lot. The only advantage I have is they'll tell me, "Say, so, well, you can buy this car, this car, this car, because this has got good good money. We didn't want to put re- we didn't want a recon. It's not right for our lot, or it's a ninety day merchandise." Or something like that, but th- that that those days are gone too. I just think it's the ebbs and flows of business. And Robert, I have to tell you, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Yeah. And um, I just think it's the ebbs and flows of business, and it's going to keep. It's going to. We're going to continue to see the shakeout, and business is going to change, and it's going to evolve, and there are going to be a lot of people make a lot of money. I see salvage yard people saying, "Oh my God, my God, Ron, what am I going to do? I can't make any money." You've got 150 employees. I've got six, and I want to kill all of them every day. <laughs> what should I do? And I said, well, look in the mirror for starters, because you are the guy that hires the people and fires the people and trains the people and runs the people. And the sophisticated business operators are going to do well. And the sophisticated salvage yards, and there are a lot of them. When I sold, we were selling $15 million, and And today, those, those same locations would be selling $75 million. That's a lot of used parts, okay? But uh, uh, things things are going to charge on, and the margins are going to be good, and and they're making the best charge are making twenty percent net, which is as good as they've made in decades. 
Okay. Uh, back to the collector car world. You know, you mentioned bring a trailer, and of course, there's obviously there's cars and bids and a number of them out there. But also, you mentioned Bonhams, and you mentioned uh, well, we'll just go with uh, Meekums is not doing, but I know RM is, and there's a couple other auction houses that are actually doing their own online stuff. Do you think those auction companies are going to make a transition to full time? Um, online auctions, or you think there's? Uh, where, where you, do you still think there's going to be a market and a play? Some of us old timers and some of the up and coming guys are still going to want to go to the auction just for the auction experience. There will always be people that want to go to Pebble Beach. I'm going this year. I try to go every third year. Okay. And I know I know Rob Meyer from REM, a uh, nice guy. Uh, I think he's way way late to the game. Huh. Uh, but he is the 600-pound gorilla. There's no doubt about it. Oh, yeah. Meckham's just handles hot rods. Bottoms is mostly European cars. And you got Goodings, and you got, you know, a scattering of others. But there will always be some of that. But I'm telling you, RM and all these bigger companies are going to lose a lot of these $100,000 and down cars. And it's going to be okay. People are going to – people may even sell their cars for less, but at least they won't pay $30,000 in commissions. Okay. Well, now and you you left out uh, Keels and Wheels, which is in your neck of the woods, or Houston, and then you've also got uh, Barrett Jackson in, in Scottsdale, the big one. Yes, Barrett Jackson is is a, is a force to be reckoned with, and and I tell you, Barrett Jackson is there's more there's more entertainment value than anything there. Just go just go and watch. It is it is unbelievable. I love going to Barrett Jackson, and I, I think some of those big ones. And, you know, we'll always have small regionals, just like we have small little regional salvage yards now. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they hum along and, you know, they buy Mama a new car every two years and they made a hundred grand last year and they're doing okay and it'll be okay. But, but slowly but surely, I'm telling you, they're gone. I used to have 11 salvage yards as tenants and today I have four. They've all gone out of business. Wow. Well, now let's talk a little. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about your uh, your own little private car collection. What do you have in your stable? Well, I have and about 90 cars. Don't you have a museum out there, too? I have a toy museum. I really got started in automobile toys, DFW oh, okay. Elite Toy Museum. And I, used, and I love toys. I used to say, I'd curse these cars. But every time you start one, it costs you 500 bucks. <laughs> yeah. One of these old cars. They always built something out on the floor or won't start or... A wire burns or something, and I bought lots and lots of toys for one hundred, two hundred, and three hundred, even some for a thousand back in the eighties. And those toys are worth ten thousand dollars today, and they don't eat anything, so the toys are really good. And I've come and gone from cars. I had about sixty cars once before, and sold out pretty much most of them, and then have just started accumulating them. I have a Bugatti Veyron, a new Ford GT, a Mercedes three hundred SL Roadster. Uh, and uh, I, I, I really am a lucky guy. You know, I tell everybody I, I got my, my cars, I got my money, I got the best girl in the world, and uh, life is just so good. I'll drive the Lamborghini a couple of days, and then they'll put me in the Ferrari. I got a new SF90 Stradale. And then I'll come back and drive the McLaren 720S. Um, the air is pretty rare where I'm at, I realize it. Oh yeah, well, hey, my hats off to a guy like you. I really appreciate that, um, and uh, and and all the best. Obviously, we got a few minutes left. Um, real estate. Give us give us your thoughts on real estate, and particularly com- in particular commercial, because that's kind of like your uh, specialty, right? Because you have a lot of you have a lot of commercial rental property. 
I do. I have over a thousand tenants and commercial properties, and I've accumulated all those in the last twenty-three years since two thousand, since I sold to Ford, and I took my. They gave me fourteen million, and I took it and invested it in commercial real estate. And I don't sell. I buy and rent, build and rent, build and rent, buy and rent, build and rent. And as fast as I can build, I rent. I love mom and pops. Love small businesses. Other landlords don't like them. I love them. And uh, <clears throat> and I don't I don't flip. I have a new house, a new book coming out. I've written twelve books, but this most recent one is about a roadmap to build wealth. It's called Homeless to a Hundred Million. And I don't believe in flipping. I'm bl- buy the property, drag some cash out of it in a few years, and go buy another one, and then go buy another one, and go buy another one, and today look up and have 280 buildings. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Um, small business consulting business. What is what all is that until we got a, probably about a minute and a half, two minutes? Is that something you can share with us in a few minutes? Well, don't really do it much anymore. Oh, okay. not taking any more clients. I'm 70 years old. They're just waiting to catch my car with that shovel. <laughs> and uh, and frankly, the the good businesses are doing pretty good, and there are there are plenty of opportunities to consult. But there's a lot of hard headed people out there that aren't going to make the turn and aren't going to make the change. And think it's everybody else's fault that their business is doing poorly, and I just don't have the patience for all that anymore. Interesting. Um, so. Future-wise, if 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 you were if you were to give some advice to somebody, you know, let's say somebody starting out or somebody that had a little a little bit of a net worth, to it, what would you encourage them? What what would you tell them to invest in? Buy your first rent house. Okay. Figure out how to save your first hundred thousand dollars. As soon as you've got your first hundred, you'll go. And I, I know this kid; he he doesn't, doesn't like having girlfriends at Valentine's because he has to give them gifts. That's how cheap he is. <laughs> and he is he is saving money. But save that first hundred, buy a rent house, rent it, then buy a second one. Pretty soon you'll have three or four, then you can buy a commercial. And then you're, you're, you'll be worth $5 million in 10 years. Are you uh, stock market at all? Uh, nope. Not at all? Lost lost a million dollars after I sold a Ford, putting it in the stock market. Okay, so you nothing to do with those dirty, rotten bees. Okay, so uh, basically you're all about tangible assets. That's correct. Okay. Uh, Don't do investments in businesses. Just just do my own deal, and I stay in my wheelhouse, and I'm good at it. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, well, Ron, you know, um, it was certainly a treat. We, I've been looking forward to having you on the show for a long time. And i got to ask you this. Would you be willing to come on again sometime? I'll think of some more stuff to talk about, but I'd love hearing your stories. Sure. And I'll send you the manuscript, because it's got a lot of vignettes in it, funny uh-huh. little stories about okay. commercial landlords and other things too and and uh yeah i look forward to it and i appreciate you looking me up and taking a moment to to let me come on okay if people want to find out more about you get a hold of your books how do they go about doing it ron uh my name is ron sturgeon and if you google me i'm the first 75 hits so i'm not hard to find and of course amazon the same way all my books are on amazon okay and what about the toy museum? Is that something that's open to the public, or is that something that's just your own private collection? No, it's open to the public. About 3,000 pieces in the toy museum, and it's quite large, and a lot of really cool stuff there. And, you know, just just to tease you just a little bit, okay. uh, you got all these guys listening to the show. My 11th book was about sex. Oh, no. <laughs> I got a divorce, and I wrote a book about sex. So that's a good way to end the 
in the show, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny you mention that because I have an 83911 that's it's kind of a funky blue. We jokingly refer to it as Viagra blue. It's technically it's Mexico blue. And uh, mm-hmm. so I was going to put a sign on it when I was trying to, because I'm trying to sell the car right now, and I was going to say, who needs Viagra when you can buy this? This yeah. gets you everything you need. <laughs> but anyway, Ron, it was a treasure and a treat to have you on the show. I really, truly appreciate it. It was enjoyable, and I'm sure my guests really enjoyed it, too. So you take care. Thank you very much for coming on the show, and look forward to having you back. Thank you. Bye. Okay, good luck to you. Okay, bye-bye. Hey, I want to thank my special guest, Ron Sturgeon. Super guy, Texas all the way. That was and, a fun way to end the show. Yeah, that was funny. I, I was like uh, stunned, speechless, but anyway, I, I guess I guess we can balance it out. But anyway, hey, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to the Central Beginning Cards. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday between 7 and 8 p.m. on the Sand Talk Radio Network, where you can hear us talk about the most fascinating, legendary names in motorsports. And some other stuff. But anyway, see some of the car shows in the meantime. Everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family.